Welcome to Why in the World. My name is Ben Shepard. Today, the host of a podcast that I really love, actually, called The Outdoors Fix. Her name is Liv Bolton. Liv completed a 1,300-kilometre through-hike of New Zealand's South Island, and she is on Why in the World. Liv Bolton. Hello. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you for having me in your flat in uh, in London to start with. Thank you for the for the brew as well. Not at all. And um, hopefully you'll have one of those chocolate bickies. Oh, yes. No, I'll have a couple of them. Back a few years ago, you did um, an incredible through hike of the Southland of New Zealand. Talk to me about where the idea was born and why you chose that walk to start with. Oh, it was such an amazing experience. Honestly, like the best thing that I've ever done in my life. And... So it came about because my friend and I, we were sitting in a park and we were talking about, and it sounds really stupid, we were talking about turning 30. Okay. And we were like, honestly, this is you know quite terrifying for both of us. Um, and we wanted to do something that was going to really challenge us. We were both a little bit restless in our jobs. And at this point of turning 30, we thought, right, we've got to go and do something that you know we can remember and, and look back on. Mm. And it was a great chance in our lives to go and do it. So... My friend Ali, she, um, she'd seen this trek in New Zealand called the Te Araroa Trail, which is actually a 3,000 kilometre trail from the top of the North Island in New Zealand down to the bottom of the South Island. It's 3,000 kilometres. And, um, and she was like, this looks absolutely incredible. It's a very new trail. It only opened in 2011. Not many people had done it. And not many British people knew about it or had heard about it. And she'd seen pictures and it just looked so stunning. And so when we were in this park, she's like, Liv, honestly, this, this looks so good. We need to go and do it. And I remember the feeling inside. I got this adrenaline rush. And you know when you're just so excited by something. And I just thought, seriously, I got spine tingling. And I just thought we have to make this happen. From that initial sitting down and thinking, oh, we're going to turn 30. We need to do something big. What was the journey from there to actually getting to the start line? Well, first I thought, actually, is this ever going to happen? Because you okay. know when you plan something <laughs> and you think, oh, it'd be epic if we did it and blah, blah, blah. But um, I was determined with this one to make it happen. So we both asked for sabbaticals from our jobs. So I'm a journalist and I asked for a five-month sabbatical. <laughs> what and was that honestly, like going asking for that? I, 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 well, I never thought they would agree to it, ever. Um, <laughs> And actually, the conversation with my boss at the time was about three minutes long. And I remember coming out and he'd agreed to it. And I thought, what on earth has just happened? In three minutes, I've got five months off my job to be able to go and do a trail in New Zealand. And we actually then looked at the trail and thought, which would be the best bit to do? What what part would we really like to do? And we decided that we'd focus on the South Island of New Zealand because we read that it was the most beautiful part. And um, so it's going to be 1,300 kilometres, but take about two and a half months. And then we started planning and started packing for it. And I mean, we're, we were not experienced hikers at all. So it was really, you know, researching kit and, you know, how on earth can we survive a two and a half month through hike? You know, It's a scary number as well. Yeah. 1,300 kilometres. It's not a short hike at all. No. Where was your sort of level of hiking fitness before the challenge well my family's from the lake district so I'd always done quite a lot of walking um but nothing you know I was, wasn't particularly I don't do triathlons like you like your endurance running which is insanely amazing <laughs> so I was not anywhere near that level of fitness 
So we started going to the gym a bit, doing a few runs. But I think the thing that we didn't quite appreciate was how heavy was our rucksack going to be. And it ended up being 17 kilograms, which Whoa. Ali and I, we're five, you know, five foot three, five foot four. So we're not tall, we're not strong girls. So I think that was the biggest shock was just how much we had to carry and how that was going to really, you know, our backs would hurt and our hips would hurt and our arms. Presumably you were self-supported then. So you were camping and sleeping on the trail as well. Did that scare you? Well, the thing about New Zealand, which was one of the reasons why we also chose it, was because there's no deadly animals in New Zealand, which is flipping <laughs> amazing. So it's not like Australia. There are no there's snakes. There's none in the UK either. Yeah, but it's so great in New Zealand. So that gave me the confidence that we might actually be able to be all right in wild camp and everything. So, yeah, we were self-supported. So we um, you know, had to have our own water and things. Um, but yeah, we wild camped. We stayed in campsites. We, New Zealand's got an amazing system of huts. So you get a backcountry pass and then you've got access to any of the huts in New Zealand. And they're a bit like Bothies in Scotland. Oh, so okay. they have a fireplace um, and they might have, you know, a wooden bunk, but that's it. They don't have any electricity. Um, they'll have some wood for a fire that you have to replace if you use it. Uh, but they're really basic, but they are wonderful. A lot of people do these sorts of challenges on their own. It must have been pretty special to do it with one of your mates. Well, that was the other thing was that when we were thinking about going and she was really interested in the idea as well, we thought how rare is it that two people want to do the same thing and will you know have the opportunity to do it together and we've been friends since we were eight years old and so it was just such an amazing opportunity to go and do it with a friend Mm. and also she's the doctor which is amazing (laughs) so um, it meant that I felt a little bit more reassured just in case something did go wrong we're gonna be absolutely fine exactly so you booked the flights then when you've booked those flights it must have kind of become 100% real then you must have thought actually this is happening was there any sort of self-doubt going through your head before you went out to start yeah I I don't think we were necessarily convinced that we'd finish it to be honest um I think we booked the flights and we thought this is an opportunity that we can't you know we can't not do but let's just see how it goes and so yeah it did make it very real but I think it wasn't it was definitely not until about 10 days before we actually finished that we thought that we might actually do it. When you shared the idea with your family and other friends as well, what did they think? My dad, who grew up in the Lake District, was incredibly jealous. Because <laughs> he, yeah, he, he's now in his 70s. And I think he, he was really envious that we were going to have the chance to do it. But they all thought we were a bit crazy. And I, I think also they thought that it wouldn't happen. Hmm. You know, it would be one of those things, like I said before, that we would just talk about and then it would just drift off and... Why did you choose New Zealand? Have you got any affiliation to New Zealand? Had you been to New Zealand before? Yeah, I've been about six years before um, and had done a classic kind of tourist two-week loop of the north and the south. And it had, it had been beautiful. I thought that it was the most stunning country. And I loved the atmosphere and everyone's attitude to the outdoors. Everyone is outdoorsy in the South Island particularly. Um, you know, they all take go off camping at the weekend and they're all... It's a, you know, outdoors kit. They're not dressing up too much. It's all really relaxed. And so I, New Zealand is always, I always wanted to go back. Um, and also the fact that this trail was really new. Mm. Not many people had done it. Um, so we thought that it would be something really cool to, 
try and tackle. Obviously, I want to talk about the journey from the start to the end and all the bits in between in a moment. But I just wanted to cover your love for the outdoors because it's something that you're spreading with other people now as well with your own podcast, which I just do want to mention before we get on to that challenge. If people want to find that, if people want to listen to it, how would they do that? What is it called? What is it about? Yeah, it's called The Outdoors Fix um, and it's on that on Instagram and there's a website as well. Um, it's interviews with people who have really made their lives more outdoors. Um, so it's it's a really fun podcast. Lots of tips and advice how to make your life more outdoorsy and people talking about their adventures and, and how they can inspire others to go and do that kind of thing. And I have always been into the outdoors, but particularly since New Zealand, mm. I definitely didn't want to just drift back into normal work life. And so being able to speak to these people about the outdoors and go and visit them in the outdoors. And it's just been a really lovely way to continue that passion. Why is it so important to you, the outdoors? I think it is, it's a lot to do with mental health. It's mm-hmm. a lot, and I know a lot of people speak about this and it is, but it's, it's, just it's so true. important. That's why, it's so it? important. And I think it's a way to put things in perspective, to really think about what matters and just seeing just seeing that beauty of the natural world really makes you think about what is important in life and it settles the mind and I think that that is the biggest biggest thing for me and also conversations with people outdoors brilliant I mean honestly it's such an easy way of getting to know someone Mm. you're not concentrating necessarily on looking at each other and or, or being conscious of the conversation you just see where it goes and where it meanders and it's yeah I suppose part of the trail itself if we go back to that now must have been the people that you met along the way was there other people on the path on the trail as you would do in your challenge yeah there, there weren't that many um we so we were walking for two and a half months and see, we that just sounds met. bonkers doesn't it for like to someone that is essentially working a nine to five job if they listen to this now and that and you've just said we were walking for two and a half months that, that was your job, wasn't it? Did it, it feel like that? It was, That was the most lovely thing about it, I think, was that we, the only things that we had to worry about were the route, um, getting up in the morning and packing up your stuff, um, just being able to physically do it, eating and then going to sleep in the evening. And it was that was all the worries. And, and that was just quite an amazing thing for two and a half months. But mm. the people, we, um, we met some amazing people particularly there were very few Brits so the, I think we only met in two and a half months we only met about five British people oh, wow. the whole time and the rest of them um, there were loads of Swedish people and loads of Germans as well and then um, lots of people from New Zealand doing it um, but it was so wonderful to meet those people because the people doing the trail there's obviously a reason why they're doing it um, they've, they've made huge changes to be able to come on the trail so they're in a really interesting part of their life and and talking about that in the evenings in the huts or in, in by a campfire, mm. um, you, you have some quite amazing conversations with people. You obviously were doing it with your mate. We've spoken about that before. Was there any tension at all on the route in the two and a half months? Because to be with someone for two and a half months solidly must have been amazing, but also there must have been a little bit of tension from time to time. Yeah, I know. We're, We'd known each other since we were eight years old and I was pretty convinced before we started that there was going to be a bit of tension, that there was going to, you know, that we might, 
I don't know, you being with someone for two and a half yeah, months. Yeah, it's just time, anybody. Yeah, you think that we would. I could be with my mum for two and a half months and like, pfft, I, couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. <laughs> like anybody. This is going to be a really annoying answer because honestly, we didn't have an argument. <laughs> and it's, but it was so amazing. I think that for me was one of the best things about the whole walk is that she and I were such good friends now and we had this amazing experience together. And what was brilliant was that, um, you know, like we could spend a whole morning talking about Beyonce or we could spend a whole morning talking about when we were, I don't know, 10 years old um, or we could just not talk at all. Yeah. And it was just really easy and she was an amazing person. to Like have when you're super with. comfortable with someone, you, like you did, like you just said, you either talk about the random stuff, you either talk about what's actually going on at the time or... It doesn't matter if you're silent, does it? Because you are so comfortable with that person. Was there any point where you were into it and you thought, I've bitten off a little bit more than I can chew here? Yeah, definitely. So so the first five days of the trail, is it, it kind of eases you in a little bit. It's, it's called um, the Queen Charlotte track and it's beautiful. It's at the top of the South Island. It's all... Um, looking it's it's big hills but looking over the sound the Marlborough Sound which is beautiful turquoise water and there's these lovely trails through jungle and I thought okay well that's that's fine you know we're, we're kind of easing into it the second part of the trail um was after five days and it was called the Richmond Ranges and you're going for nine days with no sign of human life so there's no there's no houses, there's no roads, there's nothing for nine days because you're going through this big national park called the Richmond Ranges. And you're having to cross rivers and these rivers are really quite fierce and you're having to wade through them, but they can be up to your thigh and they're really strong current and it's really very dangerous. So it was going through that Richmond Range that I just thought this is this is really quite quite beyond what I thought it was going to be. And then also at that point my right knee started to swell up and so that was about two days into that nine days of the only way out is by helicopter there is no road no one is going to come and get you you have to walk out otherwise you'll get flown out you must have felt super vulnerable really vulnerable um and my right knee swelled up to so much fluid at the top and whilst it wasn't i could still walk on it i was having to have so much ibuprofen and paracetamol um, so for ten, so that for that nine day stretch, you know, every single day, so popping so many pills, and really slowing Ali down, and I felt, I felt quite responsible and quite annoyed at myself that that was happening. That nine day stretch was just all about: am I even going to make the nine days? That was definitely one of the points where I thought, gosh, I'm, I'm not sure we're going to make it. So the knee then, let's talk about that. Was that a reoccurring thing for the whole journey? So it did, it did reoccur. Yeah. So I wore a knee strap for the whole rest of the journey. Um, but fortunately after about two weeks, I got away with not popping pills anymore. Also, I didn't really want to have that impact on my liver. Ali was yeah. like, you should stop taking the pills now. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it was strapping, strapped my knee up for the whole way. But um, fortunately it, yeah, started to get better. I think it was the fact that you know, I'd never before walked with so much weight on my back and the pressure on your joints. Did you keep any time restraints on yourself? Were you trying to cover a certain amount of mileage or kilometres per day? Or were you kind of just trying to get it done whenever you could, really? We didn't want to put a really hard limit on it, but we had a flight booked out of New Zealand. Okay, so, so you needed we, to get there. Yeah, so we needed to get there. The other thing was um, you need to pace it so that 
in some areas you can't there's only a campsite after a certain number of kilometers or there's only a water source after a certain number of kilometers so you do have each day a target you can't just think oh well, you know i'm gonna save another 10k for the next day because then you've got to do 45k to get to the next water source mm. so we were having to definitely plan the route and plan how far we were going each day but at the beginning we were we were so rubbish we were doing I think we were averaging 15 kilometers a day at the beginning and we were supposed to be on target for a lot more than that and we we oh my god honestly we we were just failing with that kind of moseying yeah well no it was just it was just the pressure of the the rucksack and the you know our bodies not being fit enough but um towards the end we were doing nearly 40 kilometers a day so it was it was amazing how your fitness really grows. Did you feel that? Did time. you feel like your fitness really progressed? Definitely, the thing? Yeah, yeah, and much much stronger. You know, at the the first day of the walk, I tried to put my rucksack on, and Ali filmed me because I, I genuinely couldn't get up with my rucksack. <laughs> I'm like flailing around like a turtle, like on its back of its shell, and she filmed it, and I just genuinely couldn't get up with it. Um, but by the end of the trail, yeah, it was absolutely fine. How was contact? like from home like you contacting home because two and a half months pretty much I suppose quite off the grid obviously you're going to be able to charge your phone and stuff from time to time but if you're without power for a few days I would imagine it's quite difficult um did you speak to home did you miss your family did you miss London and the UK um well speaking to family I think they were quite worried about the safety side of it so with the Richmond range section which was nine days we would tell them the points that we would roughly hope to be at every day but there was no contact with them because there's no there's absolutely no signal at that point so you have a personal locator beacon if there's any emergencies mm. but there's no contact so we would give them a list of places that we would hope to be and then we'd hope if we we said to them if we didn't contact you by this point oh, on God. this day you need to contact someone so we'd always give them that um so we always had a, like a backup of you know our route and telling people where our route was and what to do if we didn't just saying that. that must have been scary though just it saying was, like yeah. if I haven't contacted you by this point it kind of makes it real for you as well that you're going into that sort of unknown complete wilderness well, that was the, that was the pressure it was if we didn't walk out ourselves the only way out was by helicopter so yeah you are really that you're so conscious of your vulnerability and also how much you have to rely on yourself no one's going to help you unless yeah you you get flown out there but um, you don't want to make that call. You though. definitely don't. I mean, it's embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we spoke about the knee. Was there any other moments along the trail where you faced particular hardship? Well, the river crossings uh, were the biggest thing on that whole trail. So we had to cross probably about more than 200 um, rivers or streams throughout the whole two and a half months. And those can be anything from... Um, quite a small rocky stream but the the power of the water is so extraordinary um and or, or then there was a really really big river crossing called the Ahuriri River and that was this, one of the scariest points of the whole trail because you can't cross that if it's too high and then you're you're stuffed mm. you have to wait you have to camp for two or three days until the river goes down so um that was terrifying we were we were with three other people at that point who had all we'd all got to the side of the river and we were all contemplating crossing um and it was it was so high and the three other people were a lot taller than us and a lot stronger so they started crossing 
but they were really struggling with it and um, they got to the middle and then one of them came back and just said I, I, I don't think we should go today what sort of width are we talking uh, I think at least 100 metres across. That's the thing, is you had to find the part that you could possibly cross, because it is crossable, they say, but if the river's too high, you can't cross it. The The guy went across the middle and then came back and said, we can't go today, so we had to camp overnight and hope that the water had gone down by, by the morning. And I was really petrified at that point, because you could honestly, the river was so strong, you just get swept away, and people have been on that trail. And so that was that was something where I was pretty freaked out actually and so freaked out that I was very teary um which I hadn't been across the whole rest of the trail and I think that was my body and my mind saying this is too much like this Mm. is just this is a bit too dangerous very ominous as well sleeping next to it the night before yeah that you need to do it having tried to do it yeah mentally that must have been incredibly difficult uh, yeah I mean I was I was I was a bit of a bit of a mess actually and I think that was, yeah, my mind saying I, it's not a very good idea. So the next morning, the water hadn't gone down much at all. We tried to start crossing and it, it was just too much. So the three people who were taller than us, they managed, but they went off first and they did get through to the middle and they got through to the other side. But they said to Ali and I, do not even dare to cross that because you're so much shorter and so much weaker and they'd really struggled. Mm. So then that meant that Ali and I had to do a 12 kilometer detour um, around the river. Um, and then we had to do, it was nearly a 40 kilometer day that day because we couldn't cross the river. But yeah, those river crossings were pretty fierce. A hundred meters is so big. Yeah, but it's the power of the water. That's the thing is that you don't, you, you look at it and you think, you know, maybe it's not going to be that bad. But when you're in there and you've got that, absolute power pushing at your legs pushing at your thighs and any slip you make you're going to go um, and flow down that river and either hit your head in a rock or you know it's it's but yeah it's really really dangerous you can't make an error can you no with not something with, like that not with those and um so that was definitely one of the scariest things and the other the other scary experience which ali and i which you know smiling about we laugh about now but honestly it was ridiculous we were in this forest near boyle village which so it was about a uh five-day section without um, any signal or any any human contact and um, we checked the weather before we started and it had been a little bit stormy but um, it was fine for us to get going but then during the time when we were out of contact and no weather reports um, there was a cyclone so what we found was when we were in this forest and the tail of the cyclone was blowing through this forest and we were stuck in there it was absolutely terrifying. There was a section of 10 kilometres before we were going to be able to get out to anywhere without any trees, any clearing or anything. We were 10 kilometres. And um, these trees, it was the scariest thing. They were crashing around us. They were blowing. They were bending over. The other side of the valley, we were hearing all these cr- trees crashing down. There was one point where Ali was stood. We were just um, having a bit of water. And then this branch, no joke, fell three foot from her and it absolutely slammed onto the ground. And if that had hit her head, that honestly would have been it. And so we started running through the forest because we thought we've got to get out of here because honestly, the the chance of us being hit by another branch or we couldn't be in there for much longer. Um, And so we ran out of this forest and running with a 17 kilogram backpack for that many kilometers, honestly, nearly killed us. Yeah, you must have been absolutely shattered. We were shattered. but it, that, I've never been so scared because you can't control anything in that situation. And 
there were so many creaks and so many um, trees crashing around us and it was so terrifying and then we finally came to the clearing and like literally nearly collapsed I hadn't quite appreciated what danger we, we were in until that branch had smashed down right next to her and I suppose now on reflection you can really appreciate kind of what risk you were at then in that moment survival mode kicks in you just want to get out and make sure you're all right which you were which is brilliant yeah which is fine <laughs> it was fine but um yeah then finding out afterwards that we'd been in the tail of a cyclone we it, yeah that was terrifying and the fact also that i mean we were very responsible we looked at the weather reports before we ever went out and just that caught us unawares which yeah thank goodness we were fine so rivers and storms yeah low lights I'm sure there are plenty of highlights. Can you pick anything particular, any days, any views, any parts of the trail that you just adored? Yeah, there's one part which um, cracks me up because it's called Breast Hill. Oh. And um, yeah, it was funny because then Ali, Ali and I, at the end of, uh, when we got to this top of Breast Hill, yeah, I had to, I had to do it. You know, <laughs> top off, we're on top of a hill. Anyway, um, no, it was amazing. It, we, we'd been walking for about three days and it was quite like moorland it, it wasn't particularly exciting but it kept inching up and inching up and then we knew that we were fairly near Wanaka which is a really beautiful town in, in the South Island but we were inching up and it was quite boring scenery um, but then there seemed to be a place where the top of the hill just disappeared and we got to the top of the hill and it was the most incredible view I've literally ever seen in my life it was Lake Hawea, which is a turquoise lake with um, snow-capped mountains behind it. And we were the only people there. And it was this really sharp ridge that we were on the side of. And then looking over to the green fields of the valley, looking towards Wanaka. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. Was it one of those goose pimple It was. And we sat there for an hour just looking at the view, just not moving and just thinking this is beyond special and thinking... <laughs> of you know everyone at work in London being rather ridiculously <laughs> smug but um yeah <laughs> how often do you go back and look at photos that you took um quite a lot but it's less so about the photos than just actually thinking about the memories I think it is and whenever I have a I don't know a stressful day in London or a stressful day at work thinking about that tre- trek really really helps me I just all those amazing memories of that mm. time it's yeah, it will definitely um, stay in my mind forever and it'd be a way to really escape any stress. You mentioned a little bit ago, actually, it wasn't probably till the last 10 days that you actually thought, we're actually going to make this, we're going to finish this and this is going to be something we'll be able to keep with us and talk about for the rest of our lives. That last 10 days, you must have felt a massive amount of accomplishment or near accomplishment. Obviously, you still need to get those 10 days done. The, the time that we thought that it might might be possible was there was a last a last high point um so a last big hill before you start going down um towards the coast which and the end point is a place called bluff and you could see the coast and you could see bluff from this mountain from the top of this hill and so we could see where we were heading we knew it was still going to take us a good few days to get there but that was a moment where we thought oh my god you know that is that is where we've been heading for the past two months um, and that is going to be the end point. And it was a weird feeling because I think you get into such a routine of your life of, you know, just wondering about the roots and wondering what you're going to eat and what you're going to, you know, then sleeping and whatever. And and then it was looking towards life going back to normal again. Mm. 
And it was a bit of a strange feeling, really, because we just got used to this routine of this other life, which was just so amazing. And then it was a bit of apprehension about going back and this ending and, and, and not having this every day. Um, so, yeah, those last few days was very much contemplating, trying to be in the moment and trying to savour it, but also contemplating that, you know, things were going to go back to normal. I'm sure that was exacerbated on the last day, but obviously I have to ask about finishing it. That must have been a feeling that you've never experienced. It was, yeah, it was amazing. It was funny, though, because um, the last point, the finishing point of Bluff, it's right at the, yeah, the tip of the South Island of New Zealand. And there's a big signpost there. It's a yellow signpost and it's right on the coast. And it has signs to London, which was like, I think it was, oh, I can't remember, I think like 15,000 kilometres away or something. And then to New York and to San Francisco. So you're at this point. So we saw this signpost and we start running towards it. And we, you know, we, we, just, yeah, we, want, to, we want to touch it, we want to swing on it, we want to everything. Um, and then there were a bunch of tourists and we couldn't reach the signpost because they were all taking photos around the signpost. So we almost wanted to say, like, get out the way. <laughs> but you know how far we've walked to we get here. two and a half months to get here. Just let us touch it. And so we had to wait politely for like two minutes while they were taking the photos. And then we finally got there and we'd um, passed the shop on the way because it is a little bit of a town walk before you get to the end point. Passed the shop on the way and bought a little bottle of sparkling wine each. And then we got there and we opened it and oh. it was, yeah, it was amazing. Mm. And, and just to have finished it with a friend and to finish it, thank God we hadn't been injured. We'd got out fairly unscathed, to be honest. We thought that, you know, we might have had a few more near misses. And, and it was just the most amazing feeling that we'd walked that entire length of the South Island of New Zealand. Do you ever think about going back? I have to go back to the South Island. You can do sections of the trail, actually, without doing the whole thing. So you could do six days or something. So I'd love to do some sections again. And it feels like, yeah, it feels like a bit of a second home, New Zealand. The people were so lovely. Every, every time we had to resupply food, we'd get these, um, people would give us lifts, so we'd hitchhike. And the people who we'd hitchhike with would just be amazing <laughs> and, and such colorful characters. And yeah, I would love to go back. Mm. And I think I think I will, and I think I'll do some of those sections again. How did your perspective change coming back to London and going back to work? Because that must have been incredibly difficult. When I was in New Zealand, I kept saying to myself, like, try and remember what this feels like. Try and remember what the important things are in life. You know, it really, it did change my perspective. It made me think that the important things in life are friends and family and being outside and being in the outdoors so less so about always just focusing on the career you know um so I always tried to say to myself really think about how you felt during that time and try and take it back to to your London life um and I think it's worked to a certain extent obviously you know you get kind of caught back up in your in your life but um yeah I really took away that your body is stronger than you think um that I'm probably a little bit more impatient than I, than I thought I was. But um, yeah, that you, you can do these things if you put your mind to it. And yeah, and to just really appreciate your body and what you can do and really be grateful for that. Huge thank you to Liv for coming on and make sure you do go and subscribe to her podcast 
the outdoors fix now as always we will be back in a couple of weeks with a brand new episode and in the meantime do go and follow at why in the world pod on instagram and pop us a five star rating and a positive review as well as always thank you so much for your support and i'll speak to you soon